Welcome to Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. Hello, Joe. Hey, Dave. How we doing today, guy? I'm okay. It's a little early in the morning for it me. It is early. I'm a, I'm a night person. I'm a night owl. I'm a say. morning guy, but I know you are not. And the reason we're bringing this up is because let's talk about how a guest uh, gets to be on our show, has the distinct honor and privilege. Um, when we talk with prospective guests about coming on to Discography, uh, what we do is... Joe, we well, offer usually, several choices, right? Well, yeah, we, we try to collaborate with the guests. Some uh, artists are very challenging to cover just because of the length of their discography, or you right. know, maybe they don't have the right kind of arc we're looking for. So, you know, we're trying to find a certain kind of thing where it's like we can tell a story over the over the episode, and it kind of you know, right. it fits our and format well. This is one we wouldn't have chosen probably, you know. Right. It would have been many years down the line, and we would have been like, all right, I guess we got to get around to this person. Yeah. Now, Just you and I. It doesn't mean she's good, right. she's bad, whatever our, it is. When our guest did select this artist, we were like, oh, that seems like a good... Decent uh, enough. That seemed, right? Well, it seemed like it would be a good episode with this particular guest. Right. Right. So, so, we, so we've settled on something, and there was a lot of discourse going back and forth uh, because uh, this person has had a couple number one hits. Um, and you know it's been a while, but it's a couple number one hits or a couple number one. And hits. we're trying to book some guests who come from diverse backgrounds too. This is not somebody who pretty different from our other yeah, guests that yeah. we've had on. Well, this point. we like we like a whole disparate ar- array of you know. We're interested just as much in you know. Uh, <sighs> As, as obscure as you can get to as uh, as big as you can get, it's all interesting to us. Right, right. So this we were psyched to do this episode. And, you know, when we do these, there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. We, Tons. We, we're listening to all of these records, making a lot of notes, doing And often the, the records are garbage. Yeah, especially... They like, can be. They especially can. later in artists' careers, you know, because it's really hard to maintain that, you know high quality over a period of decades. Unless you're talking about an artist like tonight's artist, in which case the whole fucking career was a bed shitter. Well, let's not, let's not spoiler alert it too much. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, there's, some, so, there's some good stuff. So, so in here. essence, so what happened is Joe's not a morning guy. Uh, we had to come because uh, of the time change and the request of uh, the artist who was going to appear on the show today. Uh, we had to get down to the studio, which is about a half hour drive from us. And so so uh, we get down here and it's um, Sunday. Uh, we're here. We get here at about 8 a.m. And uh, we find out by email that uh, that we have been stood up. About 10 minutes before we were supposed to start airing. Yeah. Yeah. Before we were, before Which is we were dis- supposed to disappointing. Start but frankly, it's it's not happened to us before. And, pr- and, and I'm guessing will not happen to us again. But so the point is we're left with this kind of orphan sort of episode where it's not an artist we probably would have chosen. Right. And it kind of made a lot more sense with this guest. We um, can't say her name, but all I can say is if she was here, it could have been so beautiful. Right. Um, but unfortunately, I think we're alone now. So uh, in, 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 instead of that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do this, which is, uh, you know, back to business. You guys need to know how seriously we take this shit. Discography is heavily researched, and the music is always listened to with fresh ear holes. That's right, and we're not just covering albums. We're covering little albums, bigger albums, in-betweener albums, all kinds of stuff. Whatever was recorded, that's what we're listening to and assessing. 
And every release is rated and slapped with a rating from zero to five stars. And I'm telling you, you got to take our word for it. That lets us look straight into the third eye hole of an artist's true arc. Uh, today, the artist that we will be turning the spray cans on is none other than Stevie Nicks. Stadium level supergroup superstar with a spectacularly successful solo career turned once a decade reminder that she exists at all apart from the group. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, well, I guess we start at the uh, beginning with some uh, biographical information. Well, uh, first, let me say that, um, you know, I don't really have any Stevie solo incendiary moments as a kid, but my parents would host parties every weekend um, and local couples would, would I was going to say swing by, but that's not really <laughs> what happened. <laughs> but they would listen to rumors heavily. And actually... Hey, it was the 70s. One couple split up and blamed my parents' fucking parties for that. Mm. Was that couple Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I, she has no meaning to me. Yourself? Um, well, you know, like everybody else, I... You know, I'm a Fleetwood Mac fan, like everybody else on planet Earth. Sure, <laughs> and, Fleetwood Mac, um, yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the music I got into as a kid, I got into from like MTV. So Stevie was on there with, um, not only with the Mac, but Stop Dragging My Heart Around. So yeah. I can't say I was ever a super fan of her solo work. And, um, you know, uh, she's it, there's kind of two Stevies, obviously. There's the Stevie within Fleetwood Mac, in which she plays kind of when she appears plays. on a song, when <laughs> she when when it's one of her tunes, when she plays the witch. <laughs> <laughs> when it's one of her tunes, it's kind of like a very refreshing, like you know, she has a very distinctive kind of voice and and a persona and 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 a sort of cool to her. And she's um, given a pared down slot on every album, which means that she's able to pick from the A material. Yeah, she's able to pick from the A material, and also, um, you know, it's she has the the great band around her. That, that's kind of the parts of this trawl that were interesting to me, the sort of the differences in the solo career and where she has to carry an entire album on her own. And in, in lieu of the great band that has this incredible chemistry, she has session guys who are amazing in their Body own right. Waddle. <laughs> They're all amazing in their own right. And I love those kind of, and have an undying yeah, yeah. respect for those musicians, but it's a different kind of thing when you're kind of a sideman. Well, know? let's get to her solo career as quickly as possible in the sake of dramatic tension. So, uh, by the way, the nickname Stevie, uh, she could only pronounce her name uh, instead of Stephanie, uh, TD, like mm -hmm. that. So that's why the nickname, uh, if anyone was wondering. So Stephanie Nix, born in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, while attending Arcadia High School in Arcadia, California, she joined her first band, The Changing Times, sort of a folk rock group with a vocal harmony overlay. Uh, she met uh, Lindsey Buckingham during senior year at Menlo Atherton High School in Atherton, California. Um, she joined him in harmony when he was singing California Dreamin'. The rest is history. Uh, B Buckingham was uh, actually in a psychedelic rock band called Fritz, um, but, uh, but they were kind of splintering. So he asked Nick's to join, um, in the summer of love 
to replace the lead singer. Uh, they wound up opening for Hendrix and Janice. Um, they were around for a couple of years. These guys, you know, Nix has been bopping around the scene for many years before being successful. So um, she was going to be an English teacher. And with her father's blessing, she wound up dropping out of college to pursue a musical career with her boyfriend, Lindsay. She had a very slow ramp up to a solo career. So she was with the Mac in 75, but she didn't actually start her solo career until 1981. She sang background on Whenever I Call You Friend, the Kenny Loggins uh, soft rock uh, classic, and uh, on a couple Walter Egan songs. But uh, during Tusk is when she really started laying down uh, demos. Uh, for her solo career, which brings us to phase one, charging out of the gate like a bull on coke, 1981 to 1983. Joe? So, yeah, you get the first record, Belladonna, um, which is... uh, Was this successful? It was extremely successful. Holy crap, was it successful. (laughs) (laughs) It was a number one album, I believe. That's right. In fact, it it spent almost three years on the Billboard chart from... From July 81 to June 84, it was on the charts. And uh, it's really Stevie's album pretty much all the way around. She wrote everything, um, almost everything with no co-writers. There's a couple of co-writes. Famously, the single, uh, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, um, she uh, did not write that. Uh, she, uh, but uh, the, everything else, other than a co, one other co-write with Roy Bitten and one with Ben Montench, she wrote the entire album. Right. Um, and um, it's very good. Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly is. It's, a, it's an extension of what well, her there, work with Fleetwood Mac. There um, were four big singles. Well, four pretty big singles from it. Yeah. You had uh, Stop Dragging My Heart Around was number three. Uh, the Don Henley duet Leather and Lace, number six. Uh, Edge of Seventeen was eleven. You'd think it would be higher, but yeah. Uh, and con- the uh, country song uh, after the glitter fades uh, was thirty-two. Right. Pretty damn good. Yep, and uh, the album tracks are pretty good on this as well. So, this is a strong debut. It's uh, it's you know uh, s- session players galore on this. It's some of you know uh, Wadi Wachtel. You have uh, Roy Bitten of the E Street Band and Ben Montench of the uh, Heartbreakers are on this record a bunch. Russ Kunkel. Bob Glaub, these are like, you know, all legendary. Uh, but mainly above everything else, as we'll discover as the as the rest of her career unfurls, uh, the songs really are here. Yeah. She totally delivers in the songwriting department. There's only, uh, there's only two songs on here that I wouldn't put on our playlist. Right. And most of those songs are just downright classics. Like, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, obviously, Think About It. After the glitter fades, Edge of Seventeen. These are great songs. Yeah, and this on something like this, she really shows off. She has a distinct kind of voice as a songwriter. She has certain kind of moves that she goes back to a lot, and mm-hmm. she will do yeah, that throughout does. her career. <clears throat> but um, she really does have a distinct uh, perspective and voice as a songwriter. She has this kind of like you know. Uh, this is her platonic ideal of a record. Yeah. So not just for her audience, which is definitely the case, but like you'd have to be. Think about the kind of insane person who favors any Stevie Nicks record over this. (laughs) What kind of fucked up piece of shit do you have to be to like any other record better than this by her? Um, You know, so, uh, you know, you got that. But even for Stevie, 
this is the platonic ideal. Like from here on in, she's copying moves from this record. In fact, the Wild Heart, the next record, which we'll get to, but is basically sort of a copy of the uh, of the template for this record. A couple other tunes on this, the opener, the the title track, Belladonna. That's that's kind of like a kind of a more upbeat version of her uh, classic song, Silver Springs. It's kind of a sim- similar kind of yeah. song to me. Yeah, really yeah. kind of glittery, shiny ballad. Um, it's a kind of mid-tempo ballad thing that she really excels at. Um, Speaking of Outside the Rain toward the end of the album, that's a Sarah Cop. Right. But Sarah's so good that, you know, it's like I'll take any Sarah Cop. And she winds up copying from that song many times through her career. Yeah, there's a couple that she really goes, that she Sarah and uh, Dreams, she really right, re- re- right. revisits kind of a Which lot. Which is just two chords back and forth. Yeah, we'll um, talk about that later because I, yeah. I, th- I have a whole thing about Th- this one I give four and a half stars. This I gave it the same, four and yeah. a half. In uh, 1981 as well, uh, she contributes Blue Lamp to uh, the heavy metal soundtrack. Great movie. This is unfortunately definitely a Belladonna outtake. I give it two and a half stars. I gave this one three, and what I liked about it and what what kind of she starts to lose after a certain amount of time is just her actual singing voice is pretty powerful on this. She sounds different as a singer as a younger person she has kind of a more powerful voice at this stage of her career and uh, has the really tight fast vibrato um it's not an amazing song but i do like her uh, vocal performance on it so i gave that one three stars all right so then in 1982 uh for the fast times at ridgemont high soundtrack i gotta say this has always been my favorite song of stevie nicks's solo career not quite sure i really connect uh with this song but uh sleeping angel what a great song, man. I have no idea how this was an outtake. So this one was new for me. I didn't know this at all. I, mean, I guess I've never really uh, had the soundtrack for Fast Times. I, mean, I don't I, have it. But I knew all the individuals, a lot of the individual songs, but I'd never, this song never really caught my attention before. It's amazing. It's so good. I give this one five stars. This is the high point of her career. I, I also gave it five. Again, her vocals just sounds very bright and shiny here. Um, and the song itself is really cool. The writing of it, it's not at all a retread. It's kind of a, in a... It's its own thing. It's its own, it's yeah, in a different yeah. harmonic kind of ground than she usually I'm goes really into. really bummed that she never went back to the well on this one because... It, you know, it's very affecting. A yeah. lot of her solo career, I think the reason why it doesn't uh, get to me is that there's, uh, it, it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like she's just releasing albums. Well, yeah, this, this one... This feels authentic. This song was kind of the highlight of the whole uh, trawl for me. The, yeah, the, the yeah, me too. Song. So this is going to be, a, this is like a new favorite for me. 1983, The Wild Heart. So uh, late 82, she started recording this, recording this after uh, the Fleetwood Mac Mirage tour. Uh, it, it got to number five um, and went platinum. So now, Mirage in itself um, did only really cemented her uh, superstardom because she had the big smash hit Gypsy on that, which is a very great fine song, song. Great song. And, That's um, got to be the best song on that record. And uh, also um, kind of like reinforced her like kind of... Uh, kind of witchy sort of image. It's, it's, it's right, yeah. right in her uh, kind of, right, right in her wheelhouse. Great song. Yeah, yeah. And um, so she's, you know, she's still a huge superstar. But this, this one is, has a, a penis load of guest musicians. So you have, you have tons. And, and again, this is sort of following in the footprint of uh, a lot of the same uh, session guys are the yeah. co- are the core bands and but uh, you have um, Tom Petty coming back mm-hmm. uh, with the Heartbreakers to do I Will Run to You. You have Mick Fleetwood uh, on uh, Sable on Blonde. You have uh, Toto, Steve Lukather, 
Uh, on Luke, Standback. Lukather. Lukather. I never saw a YouTube video with his name being pronounced. I'm sorry. And also Prince on the same song, uh, plus Sandy Stewart, who wound up writing Seven Wonders for Fleetwood Mac, is uh, heavy on this record. Yeah, so Sandy Stewart's uh, keyboard player, synth synth player, um, she also wrote, co-wrote some of the tunes. Um, kind of a key member of uh, the band at this point. This is a much more synth-heavy record. Yeah. And um, three singles off this one, Stand Back, If Anyone Falls, and Nightbird. Yeah, the, the synths on this aren't aren't super... Uh, they sound good, I think. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I like the, the approach to this on, uh, of, the, of the synth stuff. If Anyone Falls, that was a big hit. You know that one if you heard it. Yeah. I mean, it's got like... It's It's got a lot of like Oberheim, like cheese pad happening but um, it works for the material i, like it. I yeah. mean look it's this is the same template as belladonna but with diminishing returns the petty collaboration is is weak uh the title track is um you know uh, sort of uh, another thing like what belladonna offered and stand back is the insistent synth driven single just like edge of 17 the main problem with the record is side two sucks uh yeah i mean there's a couple of things on here like gate and garden that's pretty cool but come on let's get real it's sarah you know it's the same song yeah, as yeah. sarah it's i, I same, like it it's because same, i don't mind a sarah riff. it's the same harmonic move i mean it's you know it's if you don't mind that it's not bad you know the stand back is she wrote that kind of to the tune of little red corvettes right she's literally just doing a karaoke thing and so she brought him in as a she brought him in and had a session with him and they kind of like hashed out how the royalties were going to work and they agreed to a 50 50 split although he's not credited as which a writer is, which is amazing yeah, because she didn't have to. Uh, she really didn't have to do that, or even tell him. And neither did he. Really, he had, him agreeing to that is kind of cool on his part. So, um, I don't really love that song. It's okay. It's uh, that track sounds kind of like kind of thin and that th- th- has like a very obvious Lindrum. That one I don't really love. I mean, I, no. you know, it was obviously we all we all know that song. It was a smash at its time, but um, yeah. Not my favorite. Um, um, there, I think there's only one great song on the record, which is the title track. So right for you, you have a six-minute uh, epic screed right out of the gate, um, which is a wonderful song, and nothing winds up measuring up. But the main problem uh, to me is that you know there's ten songs after song number six. There's not a single keeper on the record. Right. Then another one that's kind of you know. I, I, I'm, you know, this will come up throughout the episode, but there's a song called Sable on Blood. It's dreams. It does the dreams thing. Yep. And it, there's a specific trick to the song dreams where it kind of, it's two chords. It's mm-hmm. going back and forth between F and G, but the song feels like it's in C so, and it never goes to that C chord. So it has a feeling of being kind of like never resolving. It has a feeling of being kind of suspended. So it's a neat trick, you know, if you can pull off a whole song like that, because you only have the two chord changes, but there's still some tension in it because it never resolves. But man, does she go to that well a, a lot of times. A lot. Yeah. A lot. And so, sometimes, sometimes, honestly, it's welcome because the stuff that surrounds it is uninspired. Yeah, like, so at least right. it's... So this yeah. song to me isn't bad, but it's like, it's, you know, it's a little eyebrow raising. It's, you know, if that stuff is distracting to you, you're probably... And then how about uh, on Nothing Ever Changes? What a shitty sax solo. <laughs> oh my... <laughs> fucking lord dude yeah there's some questionable choices on kind of all these from i i look this one i give three and a quarter stars yeah the quarter i i I give it three and a quarter because if i waffle if i let enough time uh, drag on between deciding on three and three and a half 
I got a life to live. Bud. I, I gave it a break and gave it three and a half. Um, <laughs> it's funny to, that there's even like you deliberate on it that long. <laughs> I do. Like, I, I no, I really do. Like this, the, the 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 I love the idea that you're you're sitting there thinking that deeply about Wild at Heart. I make a joke out of it, but it's not a joke, which is sad. <laughs> All right, so I th- I gave that one a break because it starts to it starts to the road starts to get pretty rocky <laughs> from here. That's very generous of <laughs> yeah. you to say. Phase two, everything that's not Belladonna and the Wild Heart, 1984 to the present. Okay, so in 1984, uh, first you have uh, the, her contribution to, to Against All Odds, Violet and Blue, a very unconvincing groover. I say no. One and a half stars. I gave it two. I'm being slightly more generous to uh, Stevie here. <laughs> Joe, let's talk about cocaine. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, okay? <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan, to be totally honest with you. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not really fun. Let's be it's, honest. Yeah, it's uh, it's no go. Uh, no go. Not zone, that I've ever, you know, I don't, you know. From what I've read. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so in 1985, she does a record called Rock a Little. It does okay? rock a little. It rocks very little. Uh, so she's doing a lot of toot around this time. So at this point, she's actually um, uh, at the t- conclusion of the tour. She checks herself into Betty Ford, but um, you know when she's recording this, uh, I think she's a little bit up her own ass. Yeah, the, her voice sounds very ragged on this. It sounds like like twenty five percent of it is like missing or something. It's like the photo of uh, Marty McFly at the. <laughs> He starts yeah, to kind yeah. of vanish. Yep. Sounds like that's kind of what's happening to her voice and, here. And actually, in um, in '87, Tango in the Night, she's famously sort of there but absent from yeah, the vocals. Right. Um, she was really doing a Marty McFly. And, ch- and check this out. Here's how about this as an indication of how her song radar is completely fucked up at this point. So two songs are offered to her during the sessions for this. Uh, Martin Page and Bernie Toppin's song, These Dreams, you know, the heart song? Yeah. It was offered to her, and she's like, nah, I don't see anything in this song. Mm-hmm. That, that, was hit, number that one. hit number one. Yeah. And then Tom Petty writes, Don't Come Around Here No More, and she's like, nah, I don't think I could do this song justice. Well, which she was probably right. Yeah, yeah, but still, I mean, two huge songs have been offered to her. Yeah, and uh, Don't Come Around Here No More, is uh, that, that's... The, the actual Tom Petty recording is really great. It's a, it is a great song. Um, but uh, so let's talk about the apocryphal meaning of the album title Tusk. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of going in the past, but I guess it's sort of relevant here. It is. If it's re- relevant anywhere I, in her I'm, career. I am sure this is not what the actual uh, m- meaning of I am it was. sure you are incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, it seems like if we're using Occam's razor here and going with the simplest explanation is the likely explanation, it's a dick joke, right? <laughs> I think Tusk is a dick joke. No, uh, I think that, yes, that is the reason why it was called that. Mm-hmm. But the urban the, legend is, yes. why don't you go ahead and uh, <laughs> this, this is more my this territory. This is more a Dave kind of story. Uh, so apparently she got an ivory tusk. I like to think it was shipped to her from Africa. It was engraved with stuff. And uh, she used that to toot Coke up her butthole. That's apparently what uh, Tusk was about. I believe this to be actually true. Yeah, it's a dick joke, I think. (laughs) Now, she did uh, vehemently hate the title Tusk. 
She tried to prevent. She was vetoed four to one. It's a it's a weird. Everybody else was down, but uh, she hated it. She thought it was a stupid title. Um, It is kind of stupid. So let's talk about Rock Little. Uh, there are some singles from this, and they were successful. Talk to me was number four. I can't wait. Number sixteen. Um, and has any has anyone ever written anything for you? Uh, number sixty. Uh, but let's talk about the material. Um, first of all, the production. Okay. okay. So yeah, now, now, now we're in my territory. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this record is uh, the height of the popularity of the Yamaha DX7 keyboard. And man, is there a lot of DX7 on this. Like, so, you know, the DX7 is a digital synthesizer, and it's like, you know, it's the sound of like, uh, you know, all those like Howard Jones records and like just anything from like 84 or something. Do you on. like him? I, I love his first yeah. couple of records. I actually do. I don't, I don't know about Howard Jones. <laughs> I mean, there are worse. For, there's worse from that. Time I guess, period. but anyway, this thing is like drenched in like in the the the, the uh, novel thing about the DX7 is like, oh, this sounds like real. Like it sounds like a real harmonica and like a real, <laughs> like a real you know uh, piano. But it actually didn't. It actually sounded like this very flat digital like. Um, you know, other uh, vintage synthesizers from that time, the analog synthesizers go for many, many thousands of dollars. But you can pick up a DX7 for like seventy-five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> become they're almost completely worthless. They've had a bit of a renaissance, but then you can just you can you know the the plug-in version of it sounds exactly identical. It's exactly the same code actually. So, but paired with the sound of it, the execrable sound. Am I pronouncing that right? Ex- sound yeah, of that this thing. Right. Um, in addition, the digital production techniques that are utilized in this record. Yeah, are- it's not just the DX7. It's like you know very like. Cheesy sounding drum machine stuff, and like you know, it's the cheesiest of the cheesy. I mean, it really, really is, especially because you know, there's this theme throughout her career where um, it's not just Coke, she then becomes dependent on Klonopin, and and you know, I feel bad. I mean, she struggles with this stuff, but during these times where she's either, um, you know, in a clinic or you know, really gobbled up by drugs like a Pac-Man power dot, um, then you can sense her absence on these records because their production becomes much more of a kitchen sink thing to to paste over the cracks. Yeah, it becomes more of an exercise in listening to the production itself, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's so in your face, the 80s-ness of it, that you really can't ignore it. So, like, Do you it, like any songs from this album? Um, not really. No, I can't really say. There's that I do. one that I like, but the title is so fucking crazy bad. I know the one. <laughs> I saw that title. I just cracked up before it, I even heard it. Yeah, I sing for the things. It's, no, it's even better than that. It's I sing for things. <laughs> Isn't it for the things? No, it's just I sing for things. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like them both very, very much. Uh, that'll be on the playlist. I actually like that. It's a pretty ballad that she wrote with. Uh, with uh, Jimmy Iovine, but... Um, now, the songs that were hits, so Talk To Me, you, that's another one, if you live through the 80s, you will definitely remember that song. The guy who wrote it, uh, it's kind of like um, like Hungry Eyes or something, like uh-huh. one of those 80s yeah, yeah. ballads. The guy who wrote Chaz it... Sanford. Yeah, he also wrote a similarly bad song, Missing You by John Waite. I like that <laughs> you song. You like that song? Well, it's I'm very, a for it's that. very similar to this. I was... T- okay, here's why. I was 12, and I was totally in love with this girl. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, when you... When songs hit you at a certain time, yeah. it doesn't matter what they are. You're screwed. Yeah, that's true. 
I mean, Missing You is probably a better song than this, but it's yeah. similar though. You know, eighties ballad, like, you know, it there's the there the Stevie song Talk to Me has a real has like a throaty sax solo, like real Eddie Money kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. So. Uh, it's pretty rough. <clears throat> I can't wait. The other big single is just that, that sounds just horrible. I, I don't like that any one of the sounds singles. Terrible. Um, there's some really really bad stuff. I, I can't wait. This. Sort of the like the epitome of an '80s song that is aged badly. I was very curious when I was listening to this if um, if what your review of this was going to be. How many stars you give this? I thing? give this one and a half. I give it one and a half yeah. as well. I don't um, like it. All right, let's move. There's move. one other one I want to mention. There's a song that's called "Some Became Strangers," but um, it's so cheesy that it's almost kind of like so bad it's good kind of territory there's this kind of like ridiculous like burpy synth <laughs> bass you're gonna, going you're on you're gonna put that on the playlist i almost would but no okay <laughs> if you disagree with joe's decision please write go to check us out. on the go facebook check out discussion some, board or spotify if you want to have a larf go check out some became strangers from stevie nicks <laughs> not rock, on our dime rock God a little it. 1986 1987 a very special christmas compilation which i did buy on cassette she did silent night I give it two stars. No matter who did it, I would give two so, stars. So much agreeing. This is a definitive two stars thing because it's a perfunctory yeah. read of Silent Night. It's fine. And then it, it took her another couple of years to shit out another album, The Other Side of the Mirror in 1989. Uh, there was also a, a tour of the, of, uh, the U.S., although um, very famously, Stevie has said that she has no memory of the tour due to her um, you know, increasing addiction to Clonopin at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's, she was really, really running ragged. Yeah, that's sad. I, yeah. That makes me feel bad for her. So uh, this album is uh, loosely based around the theme of, uh, of Alice in Wonderland. Extremely loosely. Very loosely. Uh, this is uh, after the huge uh, Tango in the Night tour uh, in the UK. Uh, the Other Side of the Mirror became uh, Nix's highest charting solo album in the UK, which reached number three um, and had a top 40 hit with Rooms on Fire. Uh, this record, ideas, thoughts, Joseph? Well, this one is, um, it doesn't sound as bad as the- as, No, the production's uh, as, a step up. It's a step up. It's still kind of pretty late 80s. A um, little bit all over the place. There are some kind of things that are like, kind of trying to do like hard rock or something. The guy that produced this, um, this guy, Rupert Hine, he did like, he did a couple of Rush records. He did like Saga. So there are some things where they're kind of going for almost like arena rock kind of vibes. And that's not really really a great fit for her. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, there's a song called A Whole Lot of Trouble. It's like a kind of like a blues rock arena thing with like ghastly giant reverb. So there's some weird stuff like like that on here. The uh, Rooms on Fire is kind of an okay single. I like that. I like that now, song. This record, you know, um, in contrast to a record like Belladonna, this is all co-writes. So these are songs that she all co-wrote. None of mm-hmm. these are 100% Stevie originals. Um, you know, there's definitely some, like, professional songwriter um, affectations on this. You know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's pretty slick. Um, there's one th- song in particular that has my not so favorite musician Bruce Hornsby <laughs> duet. Which song is that? Uh, Two Kinds of Love. Okay. Bruce Hornsby and Kenny G appear on that. God, that's terrible. Uh, I had to like play Highway Star by Deep Purple as like a, just a palate cleanser. <laughs> and by the way, that, that song was her first single to not chart. Yeah, you could tell they wanted it to be a single. Instead um, of charting, it's sharding. Yeah, it's a mess of a song. Yeah, it's, it's sharded. Uh, Fire Burning is my favorite song on the record. It's another one they try to kind of do the arena thing. 
It's I just like uh, the fact that she does something sort of a wistful birdsy pop song. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it it certainly kicks up a hell of a lot more dust than anything else on this very lifeless record. Yeah, this one's kind of you know a little bit perfunctory, professional. Um, you know, not not kind of embarrassingly weird like uh, the right. previous one. And then Alice is another ba- uh, return back to the Sarah Well, right? Melodically. Yep. Um, look, there there are three uh, songs that I'm going to cherry pick for the playlist: "Rooms on Fire," "Fire Burning," and "Alice." I give the record two and a half stars. I gave it two. Okay, so then in 1991, she releases a best of called Time Space, and there are three new tracks. Uh, three new bad tracks. Three new bad, well, one I kind of like. No, uh, nope. Sometimes It's a Bitch, uh, which was the only single released from the record. Uh, unfortunately, co-written by John Bon Jovi, but I, do, I don't mind the, the song. It's not that bad. You hate it? I know. You're going to battle me on it? That's not a good song. Okay. We won't put it on. Do you like the song Desert Angel, which Nick's wrote for the men and women serving in the Gulf War? No. I'm a no on all three you, of these. What are you, anti, <laughs> anti-soldier? anti <laughs> I'm pro-soldier, which is why I don't want that song foisted on me. Okay, so I give... Um, there's I give also, those, hey, you almost forgot to mention the song she co-wrote with Brett Michaels of Poison. That's right. Love's a hard game to play. <laughs> all right, I give uh, the three songs two and a half I stars. I gave them one collectively. Holy crap. Yeah, like all right, 1994 Street Angel. So this one, um, you know, those of you who have seen the recent Get Back documentary are familiar with um, the sartorially groovy producer, Glenn Johns, legendary producer. So he was brought in to do this thing. And um, that it did not work out. So they had a major falling out over this after recording a bunch of it. Glenn, I think, didn't want her regular session guys on it, specifically Wadi Wachtel. That's right. Um, so that was kind of like uh, he wasn't on a bunch of it, and it, he was very insistent on Wadi not, not playing on it for whatever reason. Um, in the end, she fired Glenn Johns, and Wadi did come in and play, as did a bunch of other like big session guys, uh, Kenny Aronoff, you know, the, the, and then the usual suspects, Roy Bitten, Mike Campbell. This was the least successful record of her solo career. Uh, it only peaked at number 45 in the U.S. Um, so it did go gold, but it was not successful. It's also not a good record. Yeah, songwriting is all co-writes again. Um, hooks and memorable songs are not in abundance. Very undistinct songwriting. Um, um, very know, bland, faceless production, even though it is Glenn Johns. No, it's, well, it's, but it's mostly not Glenn Johns. He did, he did some of the sessions, and then okay. they, they had it finished by other, you know. Here's the thing, you know, I, the session musicians like this, these guys are all amazing players. Like I've said many times, I, I have endless respect for these kind of musicians. I love what they do. But you can see sort of what Glenn Johns is getting at by saying, I don't want Wadi on this. Like, I don't want you to just fall into same the same. Yeah, I don't want you to fall into the like, you know, su- kind of like subservient session guy. You know, like as great as Wadi is, he's not going to be able to come in and play the way Lindsey Buckingham plays because he's kind of a sideman by nature. You know, he's not going to be able to like it, it, when you have a band, where everyone kind of has, has some skin in the game and everyone's an equal you kind of get more bold and kind of, you know, people are trying to put their fingerprints on it and make it more of a thing. Session guys, you know, when they're hired, she had such a reliance for her, on her career of these kind of like of the same revolving crew of session guys. Um, it, it gets, this is a really good example of it being very faceless. It, it feels to me like there's a hesitance on her part to really reveal who she is. Even when you would think she'd go solo and... Uh, you know, potentially flourish in that kind of environment. Yeah. And it's just very weird. I, it always feels 
like a missed opportunity or she gets blanketed or, you know, uh, I certainly don't get the sense of who she is. Right. So this, this, no, definitely not. Not at all, ever. It's a, it's, it's, it's a bit perfunctory. You know, yeah. it's a bit like we got to make an album. So let's, there's not let's a single song on this record that, uh, that I would put on the playlist. Um, I don't think it's awful, uh, but I get, I give it two stars. No, this one was, I, I didn't like this one at all. So this one has, you know, I, getting back to the same point about the session musician guys, this one really has the sound of like, it's like a band playing at the county fair or like a really good wedding band or something. They're all good musicians playing well, but it's really lacking in any kind of edge or like any kind of distinctive style or sound. Um, and, um, you know, I kind of like, I mean, maybe Glenn Johns was trying to prevent it from turning into what it turned into, which is this, you know, this kind of like generic sort of thing. It's all a bit polite kind of sounding. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing on it was probably the thing that David Crosby is on street angel, the title track. He sings back, backup vocals on that. And that kind of like brings it to life a little bit. Um, but that's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of reaching for that. The other one, you know, there's a other, <laughs> there's this one song, "Listen to the Rain," which they they're really trying to make it like a big like hard rocking like you know, one of the one of the session guys is playing some like almost like kind of metal hot licks kind of like hot guitar lick <laughs> stuff. Um, oh, we got to talk about "Just Like a Woman." Yeah. So just like a woman is the Dylan just like a woman and um Dylan <laughs> appears on the track. Is he on it? He's I don't even know that. Yeah. He like toots out some uh, harmonica. Is, that, is, is it just <laughs> harmonica? Yeah. So, um he says he plays guitar too. You can't really detect what he's doing, but you can detect his sort of like Dis- disembodied harmonica tuning. <laughs> <laughs> that must That's have been awesome. a weird day. Yeah, when he, came by he day. probably you, you never know with him. He probably thought it was incredibly inspirational. So that's that's weird. I gave I gave this album one star. Okay, this is the most anyone's ever talked about this piece of shit record. Yep. So 1998 stormy weather compilation. She contributes at last, and in my notes, it basically sums it up. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But also, who cares? Mm-hmm. Two stars. Two stars. Fine. She did okay. it. It's. It's. She it's, did it. Yay! Yeah. She did it. Okay. Two thousand one. Trouble in Shangri La. Trouble indeed. Here is a record, Joseph. It's getting to the this, point. It's get, this, this is this. When I got to this point um, of of the of the process, I really started to question what I'm doing with my life. Right. Exactly. Although I didn't really hate this one as much. Um, I I did. So um, you know because. Uh, Street Angel didn't really create very many ripples uh, financially for the record company. Um, and, uh, you know, what happened was Nix reached out to Tom Petty and asked him to help her uh, co-write. He said, you have it within you to do this, which is, of course, slang for I have no interest in writing. <laughs> you you kind of get again. the feeling throughout the, the whole their whole relationship that he didn't really want to do any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so she, uh, she was inspired by that and started writing. She, I don't know how this equates to, uh, inspiration, but for the 1996 movie Twister, she wrote a song called Twisted. <laughs> a little bit on the nose, maybe. Um, how about Humans Being by Van Halen? Uh, that Twister soundtrack. Another one Hot. we covered. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I think she started realing, realizing around this time that, you know, her bread and butter was the 70s. So what she started dipping back into the well. So there's three songs that date back to the 70s. You have Candle Bright, um, which actually dates all the way back to the Buckingham Knicks era. 
It was previously titled Nomad, and um, it was almost used on the 1975 eponymous Fleetwood Mac record, but then Rhiannon was ultimately included instead. Mm -hmm. Sorcerer dates back to Buckingham Knicks as well, and, uh, and then Planets of the Universe was written during Rumors. So to me, this record, the, the definitive sound of it that is different than what's come before is that uh, Pro Tools is in the pictures. So there is some distinct uh, Pro Tools turd polishing on this. Everything feels kind of on the grid. Seems like there's some pitch correction happening on her voice. And um, if you don't like that sound, you're not going to like this because this is Stevie Nicks plus Pro Tools. Um, it's produced a lot of it. Pr was produced by this guy, John Shanks, who... Um, uh, produced like Ashley Simpson and um, you know a bunch of kind of records in that vein in the OOS was a big producer won like a Grammy for producer of the year kind of a big name producer um, and uh, he also produced the Van Halen comeback uh, different kind of truth um, anyway uh, Cheryl Crow also was involved in this uh, did some production on it and did some co-writes Mike Campbell was involved but really um, you know it's it's this record to me is less um, offensive to me than the previous one because it at least sounds kind of like a record. It doesn't sound like the band at the county fair went into the recording studio for a day. You know, it sounds Whereas I disagree with you. To yeah, me, I think it's it, it's a question of what is more it hit, it hit me uh, hard on this one. Yeah. So um you know what I hear when I listen when I listen to this record, and I'm just gonna read it right from my notes, is a boardroom full of executives experimenting with modern production touches on an artist upon whom it's just an embarrassing series of ill-fitting suits. She sounds lost. And frankly, she sounds lost to me in her solo work all the time. Uh, whereas she comes off as at home when she's ensconced in the Mac. Yeah. Another uh, kind of production touch on this that was very common at this time in the early aughts was the, uh, the kind of reliance on drum loops. That was like a, like a flashy thing you could do. Like, hey, we're going to drop some drum loops into this. It was kind of on every like pop thing. And, you know, you, there were all of a sudden there were the, all these like kind of pre-canned drum loops that you could very easily drag into a Pro Tools session. Trip hoppy. And a lot of that, you know, it was, that was very popular at the time. So there's a lot of that on this. Um, there, there's one song I like on the record, Sorcerer, one of those 1970s deals. There's a couple I like all right on this. This record to me at least, okay, it, the, the, uh, the, it, it, it's a, it's at least a sound. At least sounds like a record to me. It doesn't necessarily sound like a very good record, but it sounds like it has a sound. Um, I, I hate it. I give it one star. <laughs> I give this two and a half. Okay. The highlights to me are uh, Candle Bright's kind of all right. That that's that was the one that was the remake from the seventies. That's kind of has like a little bit of an idiosyncratic kind of sound to it. Um, and then there's a song called Every Day, which is not an amazing song, but it kind of has a pretty decent through line. I could see how it could have been like a, uh, you know, something they could have pushed to hot AC radio. It wasn't a hit or anything, but, um, you know, I could see how that could have been like an adult contemporary-ish kind of hit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not amazing. It's you know, And then Planets of the, universe, of the Universe, the descending riff of the intro immediately feels it's, uh, like Rhiannon. It's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thinly veiled rewrite of uh, Rhiannon. But, but then reimagining Rhiannon with an almost house-adjacent beat it's got the maybe it's, not the greatest idea in it, the world. That one definitely has the drum loop you know, yeah, from the, yeah, that was selected out of a folder somewhere and dragged into the session. I give this so. one star. Yeah. You don't like it either. 2011, In Your Dreams. Uh, Nick's... 
originally wrote Secret Love in 1976, recorded a demo of it for Rumors, um, and uh, again, she's dipping back into 70s cast-offs because she knows where that bread is buttered. So... In your dreams, do you like it, Joe? No, I don't like this one at all. This one... Um, I think it's, it's polite music for polite people. It is for sure. It's a punishing uh, 64 minutes, and um, my stamina is starting to flag a little bit at this point and trying to get through these Joe, records. it's 64 minutes, 39 seconds. I know because every second hurt. Yeah, that's towards the end. Uh, got you know uh, Glenn Ballard in on some of this producing, you know, the uh, yeah, Jagged yeah. Little Pill guy. That's right. Uh, Dave Stewart of Eurythmics fame. They're giving it a go, you know. They're trying to they're trying to make a Stevie record. It's it's a little bit like the last one. It's kind of like yeah. you know in that kind of modern uh, Pro Tools kind of space. Um, there's a, there's a couple tunes that I like on it. I would um, say there's a couple of things that are of interest that not necessarily that I like. I like New Orleans and I like Annabelle Lee. Uh, I didn't like Annabelle Lee. Really? Leave leave Edgar Allan Poe out of it. <laughs> and then, and then Soldier's Angel. Um, okay, so that's the one I wanted to talk with about with Buckingham in it. It must have <laughs> killed uh, poor Mister Integrity. To sing background <laughs> vocals on this pile of turds, but you got to do what you got to do. Okay, if you so make this one, the big bucks. This is the one thing on the record that isn't really ultra polished and pro tools. So I don't know if that was maybe his condition of doing <laughs> it, but it sounds like it really stands out, like that it's you know that, that it's left kind of rough. Um, you know, it's, it's Lindsay on guitar and backing vocals. Um, it's cool that they did it. It's very bad. <laughs> it's not good at all. It's, re- it's a really rough listen. It's kind of, it's weirdly kind of minimalist and feels really, really odd on the record. Um, but um, thanks for trying, Lovebirds. Uh, well, not Lovebirds. Dude, imagine, imagine uh, it's 2011 and you are reliant on your ex-girlfriend from 1976 to make a living. He wasn't You're reliant be- on that. He doesn't need that to make a living. Getting these, you know, you know how much those songs are worth. Like, you know how much "Go Your Own yeah, Way" publishing is worth. Like that's, Probably some. It's worth it's so much fucking money. He, they he, obviously did this because they were trying to he like gets you know seven dollar checks like everyone else. Oh uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no. When, you, right. when you get billions of plays on things on Spotify, that starts to add up to the, real money. My favorite thing about this record is that uh, she's not shoved, kicking and screaming into these awkward production strangleholds. You know, the, the material is allowed to breathe and, and kind of be... Yeah, I, I don't know. I like this one less than Trouble in Shangri-La. I give this one and a half. I give it two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, 2011, Listen to Me Buddy Holly Comp. She does not fade away. And if you think it sounds boring, the idea of Stevie Nicks doing it not fade away for a Buddy Holly Comp, you'd be right. Yeah. I give it two stars. I give it one and a half because I feel like this is a slight notch below like basic competent... like. It's really kind of not good. Yeah. It's not as good as like the Silent Night and like uh, uh, At Last covers. I give all of that. These are stars. really weird to hairs. Me it's these, all too <laughs> these are very strange hairs to split. <laughs> she only does compilation tracks if it's a song that every single person on the planet has heard. Right, right. Um, all right, 2014, 24 karat gold, Songs from the Vault. Now she's even titling it like, hey, check it out. I'm dipping from the well you guys like. <laughs> uh, so th- this is uh, recorded in Nashville and L.A. Uh, and there's new versions of demos that Nick's recorded mainly between 69 and 87. Um, 
Although uh, two songs date back to 94 and 95. So this one, I guess one of her uh, like uh, bandmates or manager people kind of showed her. Her assistant. Right, her assistant. Okay, there were that her demos had leaked on uh, YouTube. That a bunch of her demos from that period, songs that ended up being on this record, had leaked on YouTube. So um, I guess the logic is, hey, there's some interest in this. People are listening to these. Why don't we make a record? Which they and did. It's, and, it's, uh, and it's a s- sad thing, I guess, because at, at that time, she had this unbelievable material and it really all of the best stuff was used, it turns out. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, um, I would say. But, uh, you know, this is a long album, like all of her records have started to be. It's, it's another real it's stamina, another test of your stamina. Change minutes. Yep. Um, and there's, I count two songs uh, just about 10 minutes of that 63 minutes that I would pull onto our playlist. Mm-hmm. Belle Fleur and If You Were My Love. Otherwise, <laughs> nope. Belle Fleur is kind of like, I, it made me chuckle a little bit because it's it's very much the like ladies dancing around the fire in the canyon kind of song. <laughs> you check out the lyrics of that song. No. It's really no, kind with of. her, a, I definitely it's try a, not It's to. like, they're pretty funny. The way I look at these, you know, when, you know, Lindsay uh, was uh, fired from Phillywood Mac recently, right? So they, they finally were like, you know, we can't work together. I think it was her, on her insistence. Yeah. Um, you know, the basic conflict of that is, you know, I, Lindsay wanted to tour and do his own solo tour and wanted the Mac to postpone, or at least that's what he says. He wanted them to postpone their tour so he could promote his solo record and that it's like important for him to still be creative, which I think it is. He's pretty much a restless kind of soul. Um, some of his recent records are pretty good. Like he's, he's, yeah. he's at least like he's, you know, still trying to push the boundaries some. and trying to make art, you know. He's, some of his recent. She yeah. really is not in that kind of space. She seems kind of like retired, and, you know, so she kind of goes out and will tour, make a record, but she doesn't really seem to have like a burning creative fire in her, you know, to, uh, she makes records because she needs to put a record out because it's, you know, and, and these are good. These are uh, pretty wide lengths of time between these. Some, some, some of these are like a decade in between her making a record. Or yeah. But yeah. also, I mean, to keep in mind, I mean, the Mac is, I'm sure requires a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, the Mac tour is now and then, but they don't make records or anything. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were playing the same songs they've been playing for 50 what do you, years. Well, you like this record? What do you give it's it? It's okay. Um, you know, I, give, the, I give this two and a half stars. I also gave it two and a half. Um, you know, a lot of these are kind of mid-tempo, kind of acoustic guitar strummers, you know, like minor key things mm-hmm. with... Wistful. Occasional Stevie signifier. You know, you'll hear it. Okay, it's a lot of the same guys again, a lot of the same players again. Waddy Waddle! <laughs> Um, you know, this one has, you know, this isn't like adult contemporary. This is like senior citizen contemporary at this point. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, it's, you know, uh, it's not trying to step on any toes or like, uh, it's very generic rock band instrumentation, guitar, yeah, bass, I mean, drums, I don't, B3. It's, it's not detestable. You know, I give it two and a half, which means, you know, look, it's not, if it's on in the background, it's not going to annoy. It's not going to, you know, but it's, it depends what you want out of music. What do you yeah. want out of music? Yeah, it's kind of begs the question, why wouldn't you just put on one of the older records? Um, you know, it's the the opener, Starshine, that's pretty good. It's kind of a straightforward yeah. rocker. It's the, you know, it's got a lot of like that throaty beat. The first single, it. The Dealer, totally undistinctive. It really uh, tortures know. that dealer. I don't know. We've spent enough time talking about this uh, <laughs> total pile of shit. <laughs> All right, so 2015, Don Henley. Uh, I know, not canon, but Don Henley, she does background vocal 
on It Don't Matter to the Sun on Cass County, but it's only available as a Target Deluxe Edition bonus track, which is shorthand for This Song Sucks Big Elephant Dicks. <laughs> All right, so 2017, Lana Del Rey's Lust for Life. She does a background vocal on Beautiful People, Beautiful Problems. Not canon, however. 2020, she does a duet with Miley Cyrus on Edge of Midnight. And 2021, Ugh. She Do you does know <laughs> a Maroon Five thing. See the, the Miley Cyrus thing. Okay, you know the movie Walk Hard. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene in it where uh, it's near the end where like uh, Dewey Cox, his song is covered by the rapper Lil Nutsack, <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes kind of popular and trendy again. This song is kind of like like that. It's because it, like it's uh, I don't know if it samples Edge of Seventeen. I guess it does sample Edge of. It's like a it's like yeah, Edge yeah. of Seventeen is the chorus, but then the verse is this other like bullshit like Miley Cyrus modern pop thing. It's it's very bad. It, it definitely reminded me of like a. The little the little nutsack scene from, from Lockhart. So it's been eight years now. She hasn't released a record. Yeah. So since 2014, she's making the odd appearance here and there, just to uphold the legacy and uh, I don't know, leave her house every now and then. But mm-hmm. you know, so as far as the arc uh, of her career goes, for you know, just solo wise, from 1981 to 83, it was the template, and then 84 to the present. Uh, was the oven being opened too soon on the cake, except the oven opening in this particular case was an exorbitant amount of cocaine and clonopin ingestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, my top three albums by this young lady. Number three, 24 karat gold, Songs from the Vault. Number two, The Wild Heart. Number one, Belladonna. And the worst album, in my personal opinion, is definitely Trouble in Shangri-La. Uh, we have well, okay. The top two are self-evident. Yes. There's no other possible top two. That's correct. So, um, but my number three is Trouble in Shangri-La. Oh, your for your, fuck's your sake. worst album. Get the <laughs> un- fuck out un- of my life. Unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> unprecedented. That is. That is. Um, which goes to show you that once you get past the top two, I mean, it's just a sort of like it's it's it, a grab bag. It's a grab. Which really what offends is. you le- least, right. or like what sounds least bad to you? Right, it's, right. You know. Um, so that's my number three. Number two, the Wild Heart, and number one, Belladonna. My worst album is the sounds like it came straight from the County Fair uh, Street Angel album. Yes, <laughs> don't like Fair that. Indeed. Don't like that one at all. So, all right. Well. That's Stevie Nicks in a nutshell. I'm sure she'll be regaling us in the future with some uh, hackneyed regurgitation of past glories. Um, But in the meantime, definitely continue checking us out. Uh, Every week we will be um, premiering a new episode on an artist or band uh, that goes from the most uh, popular to the most obscure there's no corner of music history that will remain unexplored. And, uh, you know, we just demonstrated to you that we are willing to sit and listen to many punishingly bad Stevie Nicks albums. That's right. In a row. So you cannot doubt our commitments. I, we, we really uh, emphatically want to thank uh, today's guest for uh, flaking on us because uh, we got to actually uh, put an amazing episode to tape. Yeah, as always. Yeah. So thanks for that, and uh, definitely check us out. And hey, the play- the playlist for this ought to be pretty good. So yeah, yeah. check out the playlist. It'll be in the show notes and on our website, discography.com. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Please subscribe. Uh, rate us five stars on, uh, on Apple. 
and uh, you know, check us out on Facebook. And start there's some a discussion fun. group if you want to get in there and um, and, and uh, chat with us. We'll, uh, we'll be interacting with you. We're hoping to get that kind of cranking up more. So let's see you in there, fans. Yep, yep. It's going to be great. We'll see you guys in the very, very near future. Thanks for joining us on Discography. Discography.